Welcome to The Future Strategist with James Miller. Today, with my publisher's permission, I'm going to read the introduction to my 2012 book, Singularity Rising. Economic prosperity comes from human intelligence. Consider some of the most basic innovations, the wheel, the alphabet, the printing press, and later more complex and advanced innovations, such as indoor plumbing, automobiles, radio, television, and vaccines. All are product of the human brain. Had our species been a bit less bright, these innovations might have escaped us. Yet we can only begin to imagine the many additional wondrous technologies we might now possess had evolution made us even smarter. In the past, human intelligence was a gift of evolution. No more. We are now using our intelligence to figure out ways of increasing our brain power. The rapidly falling cost of gene sequencing will soon let us unlock the genetic basis of intelligence. Combining this knowledge with already existing fertility treatments will allow parents to raise the average intelligence of their children, while merging this genetic data with future reproductive technologies might, might yield children smarter than have ever existed. Even if democratic countries reject these biotechnologies, the historical pro-eugenic Chinese probably won't. As I predicted in 2007, China has already embarked on a program to identify some of the genes behind genius. Artificial intelligence, AI, offers another path to expanding the sum of intelligence available to mankind. Over the coming decades, scientists may take advantage of continuous exponential improvements in computing hardware, either to create standalone general-purpose machine intelligences or to integrate AI into our own brains. Vast increases in biological and machine intelligences will create what's being called the singularity, a threshold of time at which AIs that are at least as smart as humans and or augmented human intelligence radically remake civilization. A belief in a coming singularity is slowly gaining traction among the technological elite. As the New York Times reported in 2010, some of Silicon Valley's smartest and wealthiest people have embraced the singularity. These early adopters include two self-made billionaires, Peter Thiel, a financial backer of the Singularity Institute for Artificial Intelligence, and Larry Page, who helped found Singularity University. Peter Thiel was one of the founders of PayPal, and after selling the site to eBay, he used some of his money to become the key early investor in Facebook. Larry Page co-founded Google. Thiel and Page obtained their riches by successfully betting on technology. Famed physicist Stephen Hawking is so concerned about a bad singularity-like event that he warned that computers might, make, might become so intelligent that they could take over the world. Hawking also told the President of the United States that, unless we have a totalitarian world order, someone will design improved humans somewhere. Five indisputable facts that support the likelihood of the singularity. Number one, rocks exist. Strange as it seems, the existence of rocks actually provides us with evidence that it is possible to build computers powerful enough to take us to a singularity. There are around 10 trillion trillion atoms in a 1 kilogram, 2.2 pound rock, and as inventor and leading singularity scholar Ray Kurzweil writes, Despite the apparent solidity of the object, the atoms are all in motion, sharing electrons back and forth, charging, changing particle spins, and generating rapidly moving electromagnetic fields. All of this activity represents computation, even if not very meaningfully organized. 
although we don't yet have the technology to do this. Kurzweil says that if the particles in the rock were organized in a more purposeful manner, it would be possible to create a computer trillions of times more computationally powerful than all the human brains on Earth combined. Our eventual capacity to accomplish this is established by our second fact. Two, biological cells exist. The human brain makes use of tiny biological machines to create and repair cells. Once mankind masters a similar kind of nanotechnology, we will be able to cheaply create powerful molecular computers. Our third fact proves that these computers could be turned into general-purpose thinking machines. 3. Human brains exist. Suppose this book claimed that scientists would soon build a human teleportation device. Given that many past predictions of scientific miracles, such as cheap fusion power, flying cars, or a cure for cancer, have come up short, you would rightly be suspicious of my teleportation prediction. But my credibility would jump if I discovered a species of apes that had the inborn ability to instantly transport themselves across great distances. In some alternative universe that had different laws of physics, it's perfectly possible that intelligent machines couldn't be created. But human brains provide absolute proof that our universes allow the construction of intelligent, self-aware machines. And because the brain exists already, scientists can probe, dissect, scan, and interrogate it. We're even beginning to understand the brain's DNA and protein-based source code. Also, many of the tools used to study the brain have been getting exponentially more powerful, which explains why engineers might be within a couple of decades of building a working digital model of the brain, even though today we seem far from understanding all of the brain's operations. Would-be creators of AI are already using neuroscience research to help them create machine learning software. Our fourth fact shows the fantastic potential of AI. Four, John von Neumann existed. It's extremely unlikely that the chaotic forces of evolution just happened to stumble on the best possible recipe for intelligence when they created our brains, especially since our brains have many constraints imposed upon them by biology. They must run on energy obtained from mere food, must fit in a small space, and can't use useful materials such as metals and plastics that engineers employ all the time. We share about 98% of our genes with some primates, but that 2% difference was enough to produce creatures that can assemble spaceships, sequence genes, and build hydrogen bombs. What happens when mankind takes its next step and births life forms who have a 2% genetic distance from us? But even if people such as Albert Einstein and his almost as theoretically brilliant contemporary John von Neumann had close to the highest possible level of intelligence allowed by the laws of physics, creating a few million people or machines possessing these men's brain power would still change the world far more than the Industrial Revolution did. To understand why, let me tell you a bit about von Neumann. Although a fantastic scientist, a path-breaking economist, and one of the best mathematicians of the 20th century, von Neumann had fierce practical skills. He was, arguably, the creator of the modern digital computer. The computer architecture he developed, now called von Neumann architecture, lies at the heart of most computers. Von Neumann's brains took him to the centers of corporate power, and he did high-level consulting work for many private businesses, including Standard Oil, for which he helped to extract more resources from dried-out wells, 
Johnny, as his biographer often calls him in tribute to von Neumann's unpretentious nature, was described as having the invaluable facility of being able to take the most difficult problem, separate it into its components, whereupon everything looked brilliantly simple. During World War II, von Neumann became the world's leading expert on explosives and used this knowledge to help build better conventional bombs, thwart German sea mines, and determine the optimal altitude for airborne detonations. Johnny functioned as a human computer as part of the Manhattan Project's efforts to create fission bombs. Whereas atomic weapon developers today use computers to decipher the many mathematical equations that challenge their trade, the Manhattan product scientists had to rely on human intellect alone. Fortunately for them, although not for the Japanese, they had access to Johnny, perhaps the best person on earth at doing mathematical operations quickly. Unlike many scientists, Johnny had tremendous people skills and he put them to use after World War II when he coordinated American defense policy among nuclear weapon scientists and the military. Johnny became an especially important advisor to President Eisenhower, and for a while he was clearly the dominant advisory figure in nuclear missilery. Johnny developed a reputation as an advocate of first strike attack and preemptive war because he advocated the United States should try to stop the Soviet Union from occupying Eastern Europe. When critics point out that such resistance might cause a war, Johnny said, if we're going to have to risk war, it would be better to risk it while we have the A-bomb and they don't. After Stalin acquired atomic weapons, Johnny helped put deadly deterrence in place to prevent Stalin from wanting to start another war. By the dawn of the atomic age, Stalin had demonstrated through his purges and terror campaigns that he placed little value on the lives of ordinary Russians. Von Neumann made Stalin unwilling to risk war because von Neumann shaped U.S. weapons policy in part by pushing the United States to develop hydrogen bombs to let Stalin know that the only human life Stalin actually valued would almost certainly perish in World War III. Johnny helped develop a superweapon, played a key role in integrating it into his nation's military, advocated that it be used, and then made sure that his nation's enemy knew that in a nuclear war they would be personally struck by the superweapon. John von Neumann could himself reasonably be considered the most powerful weapon ever to rest on American soil. Now consider the strategic implications. If the Chinese high-tech sector and military acquired a million computers with the brilliance of John von Neumann, or if through genetic manipulation, they produced a few thousand von Neumann-ish minds every year, Contemplate the magnitude of the resources the U.S. military would pour into artificial intelligence if it thought that a multitude of digital or biological von Neumanns would someday power the Chinese military and economy. The economic and martial advantages of having a von Neumann or above-level intellect are so enormous that if it proves practical to mass-produce them, they will be mass-produced. A biographer of von Neumann wrote, the cheapest way to make the world richer would be to get a lot of his like. A world with a million Johnnies cooperating and competing with each other has a reasonable chance of giving us something spectacular, beyond what even science fiction authors can imagine, at least if mankind survives the experience. Von Neumann's existence highlights the tremendous variance in human intelligence, and so illuminates the minimum potential gains of simply raising a new generation's intelligence to the maximum 
of what our species' current phenotype can sustain. John von Neumann and a few other Hungarian scientists who emigrated to the United States were jokingly called Martians because of their strange accents and seemingly superhuman intelligence. If von Neumann really did have an extraterrestrial parent whose genes arose, say, out of an advanced eugenics program that Earth couldn't hope to replicate for a million years, then I wouldn't infer from his existence that we could get many of him. But since von Neumann was, almost certainly, human, we have a good chance of making a lot more Johnnies. Before he died in 1957, von Neumann foresaw the possibility of a singularity. Mathematician Stanislaw Ulam wrote in reference to a conversation that he had with von Neumann. One conversation centered on the ever-accelerating progress of technology and changes in the mode of human life, which give the appearance of approaching some essential singularity in the history of the race beyond which human affairs, as we know them, could not continue. Von Neumann was not a modest man. He knew that he could accomplish great things, especially compared to the average mortal. I bet that when he contemplated the future destiny of mankind, von Neumann tried to think through what would happen if machines, even smarter than he, started shaping our species' affairs. Which leads us to our fifth fact in support of a singularity. Five, if we were smarter, we would be smarter. Becoming smarter enhances our ability to do everything, including our ability to figure out ways of becoming even smarter, because our intelligence is a reflective superpower, able to turn on itself to decipher its own workings. Consider, for example, a college student taking a focus-improving drug such as Adderall, Ritalin, or Modafinil to help her learn genetics. After graduation, the student might get a job researching the genetic basis of human intelligence, and her work might assist pharmaceutical companies in making better cognitive-enhancing drugs that will help future students acquire an even deeper understanding of genetics. Smarter scientists could invent ways of making even smarter scientists, who in turn could make even smarter scientists ad infinitum. Now throw the power of machine intelligence into this feedback loop and we could end up at technological heights beyond our imagination. Further implications of a singularity. From the time of Alexander the Great up to that of George Washington, the lot of the average person didn't much change because there was little economic growth. On average, a man lived no better than his great-grandfathers did. But shortly after Washington's death, an industrial revolution swept England that married science to business. The Industrial Revolution was the most important turning point in history since the invention of agriculture because it created sustained economic growth arising from innovation, the creation of new and improved goods and services. Innovation, and therefore economic growth, comes from human brains. Think of our economy as a car. Before the Industrial Revolution, the car was as likely to move backwards as forwards. The Industrial Revolution gave us an engine powered by human brains. Technologies that increase human intelligence could supercharge this engine. Artificial intelligence that is beyond the ordinary human level could move our economy out of its human brain-powered car into an AI-powered rocket. An ultra-intelligent AI might even be able to push our economy through a wormhole to God knows where. Let me tell you a story, soon perhaps to become true to life which should put beyond all doubt the importance of the singularity. Imagine it's the year 2029, and Intel has just made the most significant technological breakthrough in human history. 
the corporate tech giant has developed an AI that does independent scientific research. Over the past month, the program has written an article on computer design that describes how to marginally improve computer performance. What, you might ask, is so spectacular about this program? It isn't the superiority of the article it produced, because a human scientist would have taken only a month to do work of equivalent quality. The program, therefore, is merely as good as one of the many scientists Intel employs. Yet because the program succeeded in independently accomplishing the work of a single scientist, the program's designers believe that within a couple of decades, technological progress will allow the AI program to function a million times as fast as it does today. Intel scientists have such tremendous hope for their program because of Moore's Law. Moore's Law, a pillar of this book, was formulated by Intel co-founder Gordon Moore and has an excellent track record of predicting increases in computing power and performance. Moore's Law implies that the quality of computing power you could buy for a given amount of money would double about every year. Repeated doubling makes things very big very fast. 20 doublings yields about a million-fold increase. Let's imagine that Intel's AI program runs on a million-dollar computer. Because of Moore's Law, in 20 years, a million-dollar computer would run the program a million times faster. This program, remember, does currently the work of one scientist. So if the program is running on a computer one million times faster, it will accomplish the work of a million human scientists. Take a moment to think about that. After 20 years into that future, other businesses would eagerly use Intel's program. A pharmaceutical company, for example, might buy a thousand copies of the program to replace a thousand researchers and make as much progress in one year as a thousand scientists would in a million years. And this doesn't even include the enhancements the AIs would garner from improved software. If Intel really does create this human-level AI program in 2029, then humans may well achieve immortality by 2049. Because of this, I sometimes end my economic classes at Smith College by saying what I'll soon be explaining to you, that if civilization doesn't collapse, you all have a decent chance of not dying. Intel's breakthrough, unfortunately, wouldn't necessarily go well for mankind, because to do stuff, you need stuff. Regardless of your intelligence, to achieve anything, you must use resources. And the more you want to do, the more resources you need. AI technologies would, at first, increase the resources available to humans, and the AIs themselves would gain resources from trading with us. But a sufficiently smart AI could accomplish anything present-day people can do, and at a much lower cost. If these ultra-AIs are friendly, or if we upgrade ourselves to merge with them, then these machine intelligences will probably bring us utopia. If, however, the ultra-AIs view mankind the way most people view apes, with neither love nor malice, but rather with indifference, then they will take our resources for their own projects, leaving us for dead. Our fate may be determined by how we manage to infuse friendliness into our AIs. Why read a singularity book by an economist? I hope that I've convinced you by this point that learning about intelligence enhancement is well worth your time. But why should you read this particular book, given that its author is an economist and not a scientist or engineer? One reason is that I will use economic analysis to predict how probable changes in technologies 
will affect society. For example, the theories of 19th century economists David Ricardo and Thomas Malthus provide insights into whether robots might take all of our jobs, Ricardo, and why the creation of easy-to-copy emulations of human brains might throw mankind back into a horrible pre-industrial revolutionary trap, Malthus. Economics also sheds light on many less significant economic aspects of an advanced AI, such as the labor market consequences if sex bots cause many men to forego competing for flesh and blood women. Furthermore, the economics of financial markets shows how stock prices will change along our road to singularity. The economics of game theory illuminates how conflict will affect singularity-inducing choices that militaries will make. The economic construct called the prisoner's dilemma establishes that rational, non-evil people might find it in their self-interest to risk propelling humanity into a singularity, even if they know that it has a high chance of annihilating mankind. Robin Hanson, one of the most influential singularity thinkers, is an economist. Scientist shows us possibilities we could achieve. Economic forces determine the possibilities we do achieve. But Despite my understanding of economics, I admit that sometimes I get confused when thinking about a singularity civilization. In the most important essay ever written on the singularity, Veneer Vinge, a science fiction writer and former computer scientist, explained that accelerating technology was making it much harder for him to write science fiction because, as we progress towards a singularity, even the most radical ideas will quickly become commonplace. Vinge has said that just as our models of physics break down when they try to comprehend what goes on at the singularity of a black hole, its supposed point of infinite density, so might our models fail to predict what happens in an exponentially smarter world. Vinge told me that in the absence of some large-scale catastrophe, he would be surprised if there isn't a singularity by 2030. A father can much better predict how his six-year-old will behave in kindergarten than the child could predict what the father will do at work. If the future will be shaped by the actions of people much smarter than us, then to predict it we must know how people considerably brighter than us will behave. While this is challenging, economics might make it possible. A high proportion of economic theory is based on the assumption that individuals are rational. If decision-makers in the future human or otherwise, are smarter and more rational than we are, then economic theory might actually better describe their behavior than it does our own. Former U.S. Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld famously said, There are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. The singularity will undoubtedly deliver many unknown unknowns. But economics still has value in estimating how unknown unknowns will affect society. Much of economic behavior in capitalist countries is based on an expectation that property rights will be valuable and respected in the future. If you're saving for retirement that you don't expect will start for at least another 30 years, you must believe that in 30 years, money will still probably, have value, your investments will not have been appropriated, and our solar system will still be inhabitable. But these three conditions hold simultaneously only under extremely special circumstances and only for a minuscule percentage 
of all the possible arrangements of society and configurations of molecules in our solar system. The greater the number of unknown unknowns you expect to occur, the less you should save for retirement and the fewer investments you should make, which shows that expectations of certain types of singularity will damage the economy. We don't know how mankind will increase its available intelligence. But as I will show, there are so many paths to doing so, and there are such an incredible economic and military benefits of intelligence enhancements that we will almost certainly create a smarter world. This book will serve as your guide to that world. We will discuss the economic forces that will drive intelligence enhancements and consider how intelligence enhancements will impact economic forces. Along the way, you will pick up some helpful advice on how to live in an age of the coming singularity. This book has one recommendation that, if you follow it, could radically improve your life. It's a concrete, actionable recommendation, not something like seek harmony through becoming one with creation. But the recommendation is so shocking, so seemingly absurd, that if I tell you now, without giving you sufficient background, you might stop reading. Well, that was the introduction to my book, Singularity Rising. Unfortunately, the full book is not available in audio format, but it is available on Amazon in paperback or on Kindle. Uh, one note, since I wrote the book, it, it does appear that by one definition of Moore's Law, Moore's Law is not really progressing. You can look at Moore's Law in terms of the speed of a given computer chip. And this speed does not appear to be continually to be exponentially increasing. But from the point of view of the singularity, what's relevant is how much computing power you can buy per dollar. And my understanding is this is still going along quite well, and the amount of computing power you can buy per dollar appears to be increasing at a nice exponential rate. I'm not going to force you to buy my book to find out about the shocking recommendation I make at the end of the introduction. If you do want to know what that recommendation is, uh, please look up the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. That is A-L-C-O-R. Thank you very much for listening to me. Goodbye.